Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. I want to start off by making a small announcement. The structure of this podcast will be changing moving forward. Before, there would be individual stories uploaded on a weekly basis, followed by a megasode at the end of the month. Starting today, there will be two megasode-style episodes uploaded per month, one every two weeks. The amount of content will technically be the same, but the upload schedule itself will be slightly altered. I hope everyone is cool with that. Staggering the episodes this way allows me to implement my time more effectively and frees me up to tackle other projects on my agenda, one of which I'm happy to announce will be a horror-themed board game coming out later this year. If that's something you might be interested in, be sure to tune back in later episodes to be updated on the status and to learn more about pre-ordering your copy. Anyway, without any further ado, let's get into the first story. Written by Reddit user TinyArmTRex88, strap in for what is often described as a parent's worst nightmare in a story titled, The Babysitter Came Well Recommended. The Babysitter Came Well Recommended She was a bit older than any of the other babysitters we had hired over the last two years, but that was a good thing, according to my husband. A 19-year-old would be much more mature, much more capable of caring than some 13-year-old. She had come armed with a folder full of references and recommendations, examples of the work she had been doing on her college course. How often do you find a babysitter who has been studying childhood development with the hopes of becoming a primary school teacher? She was polite, prompt, and enthusiastic. If the police hadn't called halfway through dinner, I was going to suggest to my husband that we ask her to come around once a month so we could finally go out on our date nights again. But the phone did ring. I answered a smile on my lips, and the taste of a medium-rare steak still coating my mouth. My name is Detective Mercer. Is this Miss Engelham? Yes, speaking. The voice on the other end of the phone was uneven, like the man on the other end was struggling to get his words out. You have a son, Eric? Was he adopted? My husband put his glass down and mouthed, Who is it? I was frozen. The phone shook in my hand as the man continued. Is he with you now? No, I said. He's being looked after at home. There was a pause, and muffled voices spoke in the background. I slid my chair back and stood Dizziness swirled around my head. You still live on Church Lane? That's the address I was passed earlier today. Yes, Church Lane. What's going on? Is Eric safe? My husband was giving me a strange look as I snatched up my coat and gestured for him to follow. He muttered an apology to the waiter 
and handed him a credit card as I swept through the doors and out into the cool night. I didn't even wait for him. I slammed the car door behind me and twisted the key violently into the ignition. I drove faster than I ever had before. Detective Mercer was yammering away in my ear. My heart was racing so hard I was sure it was about to burst out of my chest. We received a call from Broadmoor ten minutes ago. They had a patient escape three weeks back. No sign of her yet. Broadmoor, I said. That's hours away from here. The patient is Leah Flowers. Does that name mean anything to you? Of course it did. Leah Flowers was Eric's biological mother. She was deemed unfit to care for her child even before he was born. I had never met her, never even seen a picture, nothing. She had been locked up for her own safety, rambling about exorcisms and carrying the devil inside her. She had been locked up in Broadmoor, the most secure mental hospital in the country. Oh God, she's coming for my son, isn't she? I whispered. The car's engine roared as I took the exit off the motorway. I was five minutes from home. We have reason to believe she is, yes. I need you to call whoever is with Eric and tell them to lock the doors and windows and not open them under any circumstances until the police arrive. Can you do that for me, Miss Ingleham? I hung up without answering. The babysitter did not have a phone. She said she was too focused on her studies to have such distractions. So I called the home phone. My friends mocked me for still having a landline, but now I had never been more grateful. It rang for a long time before the answering machine kicked in. I wiped away tears from my cheeks and tried again. No answer. I couldn't have been more than a minute away. I could see the blue lights illuminating in front of the house as I pulled up and threw open the car door. Three police cars were parked up and a handful of officers milled around. The front door was open and I could see straight through into the lounge where Tangled was playing on the TV. A tall man grabbed me by the shoulders and stopped me from racing through the front door, his grip firm. Miss Ingleham, did you make the call? I looked up at the face of Detective Mercer, staring past his thick eyebrows into his dark eyes. Where's my son? Miss Ingleham, did you make the call? I slapped him. Where is my boy? Where is he? What happened? Your boy is missing, Miss Ingleham. I need you to tell me who the babysitter was. A cold feeling draped over me like a blanket. Is she not here? 
I asked. Is she gone too? The name, Miss Ingleham. Tabitha Gray, I said. She's 19, blonde, lives a few houses down. I'd never seen her before, but she was perfect. Now, where is my son? Where is Eric? The detective reached into his pocket and pulled out a picture. Is this her, Miss Ingleham? The blonde hair was dirtier and a lot longer, and the straitjacket didn't seem to make much sense. But those eyes, those eyes were definitely hers, blue and piercing. I had complimented her on them as she walked through the door. Tabitha Gray does not exist, Miss Ingleham, the detective said and wrapped an arm around me. Leah Flowers invented her. In this next story, tragedy strikes a small town in the form of an earthquake, and a young man is dead set on saving a little girl from the rubble. But the motivating force behind his good deed is something darker than he ever cared to admit. Written by Reddit user DarkHeroXX, also known as Anthony Lee, here is Whispers Beneath the Cracks. Imagine you're at home, going about your regular daily life, until the whole world starts shaking violently. A low rumble can be heard as your dishes and furniture start clattering around you. You're trying to keep your bearings, but you collapse onto the floor while everything around you is crashing onto the ground. Your heart drops as you hear a crack and a boom. The ground caves in as you begin to fall. As quickly as it began, you're covered in the remains of your home and the weight is slowly crushing you. There's nothing you can do to prevent a natural disaster. All you have to do is try to survive, but the worst part is the aftermath. After everything is done, you're left with the literal pieces of your life scattered everywhere. It's truly horrifying, with the damage, the confusion, not knowing if any of your loved ones are safe. My name is Lewis, and this happened in a small city where I live. We were suddenly struck with a massive earthquake. I'll never forget the booms I heard when the building started to collapse. This story starts a few hours after the earthquake, when everything had finally settled. I was fortunate enough to make it through without any incident, but I couldn't say the same for others. I volunteered to be part of a group to go around and just help people as much as we can. I had spent a few years as a volunteer firefighter, so I've had a bit of training in case things like this were to happen. Time was of the essence, so we moved out as quickly as possible to find any survivors. Our group had gone to a small apartment that had collapsed nearby. When we got there, we realized it was just utterly destroyed. There was a headcount, 
and a few people from the building were not accounted for. A woman named Alejandra and her daughter Carla. An older man named William. And a young man in his 20 named Rigo. As I walked up to the debris, I was shocked. I couldn't imagine anyone surviving this, but I didn't want to lose hope. Me and a few of the other guys, Miguel and Julio, started to lift the bits of rubble. We were doing this for a few hours and started to lose hope. It was getting late into the night. We were exhausted and it was time for us to return to the others to report what we had found. But I didn't want to move. I just sat there and stared at the remains of the building. The guys had already left. But there were four people here that needed help. I refused to brush them off as dead. There was so much rubble. My hands ached as I lifted more and more bits of the building away. I must have seemed like a madman digging so desperately in the middle of the night. But there were lives in danger here. They were still alive, right? I imagined the bodies crushed and bloodied underneath all of this and started to feel sick to my stomach. I paused for a moment in order to catch my breath and resist the urge to vomit. The street was quiet. What was once a bustling road was now a deserted, broken landscape. It's crazy to think that all of this happened in an instant. So much destruction. So fast. That's when I thought I heard something in between my breaths. It was so faint I could barely hear it. I held my breath and focused my hearing. It was crying. A little voice crying. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? I shouted. I frantically lifted more and more of the broken pieces of the apartment and I yelled again. Hey, I can hear you. Don't worry, I'm going to get you out. As I dug deeper and deeper, I could finally hear her voice. It was faint and weak, but I could hear her call out to me. Hello? Is someone out there? My heart dropped. I held back the tears that were welling up in my eyes, and I yelled out. It's okay. It's okay, little one. I'm trying my best to get to you. I grabbed a flashlight and shined it into a small crevice. The voice sounded like a little girl's. It must have been Carla. Where is your mom? I asked. There was a moment of silence before she finally responded. I don't know where she is. Everything started to shake, and I don't know how I got here. I took out my phone and called Julio to tell him I found someone. Only a few minutes later, he came back with a few of the guys in his jeep. We shined a brighter light into the cracks, and sure enough, we saw small eyes looking back at us. We all began to dig more and more. We started to gather a crowd, and more people joined us in our efforts to get this little girl out. We were able to get to a point where we could see her hands. She was only a few yards away, 
until... Hold on, hold on. We need to stop. Julio spoke. I couldn't believe what he was saying until he explained the situation. We had to tread carefully at this point. With the positioning of some of the pieces of the building, it could make things much worse. It could even kill her. So, he said he would request some aid and get some bigger equipment to help. But in the meantime, she would have to stay there for a few more hours at least. I could hear her cries and it stabbed at my heart. I couldn't just leave her here alone, so I told everyone to get some rest while I stayed with her. I sat close to the opening we had made and peered into the darkness. I could barely make out her features. She looked around ten years old with long black hair and olive skin. The events of the day had finally taken its toll on me as my body began to ache as I stretched and groaned. I heard Carla giggle. It echoed through the crevice. I peered inside and grinned. Hey, what's so funny? I joked. I was glad to hear her laugh instead of crying. It must mean she was gaining some hope. Nothing. Thank you for helping me. She said softly. Hey, just a couple more hours and we're going to get you out of there, okay? I reassured her. We sat there in silence for a moment. I breathed in deeply, trying to fight the urge to fall asleep, until she asked me a question. What's your name, sir? Oh, uh, my name's Luis. I shook off the fatigue to answer her. I'm really scared, Uncle Luis, she whispered. That wrenched my heart, so I peered back into the crack and called out to her. Hey, don't worry. I'm staying right here, okay? I won't leave you, I told her. Thank you. She sounded like she was going to cry again. I just want to see my mom. Carla's mom was reported missing with her, and I assumed she would have been in the apartment. Where was her mother? I prayed she wasn't in the rubble. I prayed that she was still alive. I couldn't do much for her, so I tried my best to keep her calm. I offered her a bit of small talk. We talked about her favorite food, our favorite subjects in school, stuff like that. Why are you helping me? She suddenly asked. I didn't hesitate in my response and told her, Because you're in trouble. As simple as that, Carla. She began to laugh a little bit, but it sounded wrong. For a moment, it frightened me. For a split second, it didn't sound like a little girl anymore. She whispered, Don't lie. It was cold. The words ran down my spine. Uh, <laughs> I'm not lying. I'm only here to help. My responses got stuck in my throat for a bit. 
How old are you, Louise? She asked, her voice almost like a growl. I'm... Before I could answer, she shouted. Twenty-eight? No, twenty-nine. Right. How did you... My voice trailed off as I saw her eyes inside the darkness. The faint light of the moon reflected off of them to make them shine. White. You expect me to reward you for helping me? She hissed. A poor, helpless girl for you to play with. No! No! What the hell? I screamed at her. What is wrong with you? I can hear you. See you. You're hiding something. Her voice was so loud, but it wasn't coming from her. It was echoing inside my skull. Carla, get some sleep. It's been a long day. I cried out. What are you hiding? Her question was burning in my mind. What is your secret? My ears were ringing. My head started to throb and my chest was tightening. The reason I'm doing this and the reason I'm trying to help this little girl is because I killed my sister. I cried out. The memories of that day flashed before me as if I was sitting in the front row of a theater. She was my little sister, Vanessa. She was only eight years old at the time, and I was about ten when we were playing at the park near our home. We were playing hide-and-seek until a man came up to us and started asking us some questions. The man asked how old we were. We were young and didn't know any better, so we answered him. I didn't realize he was not paying attention to me. He was staring right at Vanessa. We were playing as he watched us, and I got a bit too rough when I tagged her. She tumbled onto the ground and scraped her knee really bad. The man quickly shot up and told me he was going to get her patched up. He picked her up and told me to wait right there. Vanessa was crying so much. I didn't know what else to do, so I told the man it was okay for him to take her. I was only 10 years old. I sat on the park bench for hours. I waited so long, but the man never returned with my sister. When my parents found me, I was sitting there, crying. When the police asked me what happened, I was sitting there, crying. When weeks had passed and no one could find any sign of her, I was just sitting there, crying. I've spent my whole life cursing myself for letting that man take my sister. I've hated myself so much that I thought saving Carla would somehow redeem me. I could hear her laugh again, but it didn't sound like she was alone. 
Her laugh erupted into dozens and dozens of distorted laughter, all in unison. I wanted to run away, but my knees were shaking. I just sat there and listened to that horrible noise. I forced myself to cry out. No! I know I can't change anything, but I can save you now! But my shout was drowned out by that disgusting laughter. I slammed my forehead onto the ground and felt blood run down onto the dirt below me. I felt the ground rumble as everything started to shake around me. The laughter shifted to a loud, mechanical roar as I shot my head up to see large construction equipment and floodlights. Miguel and Julio had returned with more people and the aid of some construction workers. We shone some more light into the darkness and we could see a young girl with long brown hair reaching out to us. Slowly, and ever so carefully, we were able to remove the remaining debris to reveal a body. We all stood there in shock, to find the crushed remains of an older man in his late fifties. He fit the description of the man William who was also reported missing. We were completely floored. We had heard the voice of a little girl. We looked in there and we swear we all saw a little girl in there. Right? I talked to her. Or, I thought I did, at least. Everything around me started to spin. I remembered talking to Carla. I thought it was her. Apparently, I had passed out right then and there. A couple of hours later, I finally came to and was surrounded by the other guys. Not only that, but the police were there questioning everyone. When my turn finally came around, I told them everything that had happened that day. The digging, seeing Carla, then digging up the old man's body. The officer had a grim look on his face, and I asked him what was wrong. He looked at me for a moment with hesitation, then finally told me, William was a registered sex offender. He was also suspected of a few girls going missing, and they were keeping a close eye on him. Apparently during the chaos, he had tried to save his mementos. In his pocket were pictures of little girls he had, uh, victimized. He had reassured me that Carla and her mother were not even in the apartment at the time, and they were both completely safe and sound. A few days later, William was on the news, and he was indeed responsible for the cases of missing little girls. The police actually touched back with me. They broke some really horrifying news. One of the pictures had a girl that fit the description of my little sister. And sure enough, it was. After all these years, I finally found Vanessa. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy Podcast. 
If you're interested in learning more about either of the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Shout out to Anthony Lee, author of The Second Story, who actually owns his own podcast called The Seance Experiment. According to the website, it is a horror podcast anthology series that takes place in a seemingly normal home where stories will be told in hopes of some reaction from the other side. Check it out if you're looking for more scary goodness. Until next time everyone, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.